Yo and hello! Welcome back to Podcast Free Roscoe. I'm Sammy. And I'm Jody. And we're wondering. Do you remember Radio Free Roscoe? We do. We quote it on the regular even. We've been watching a lot of it. You can too. So this week we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 17, Written in the Stars. Which is not the continuation of Pygmalion or How to Get a Girl. Which quickly becomes very confusing (laughs) because... Ray is still very much pursuing Lily in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, like, it very much should have been switched with the previous one. But for some reason, this is episode 17. So we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> we're just going to roll with it. But this initially aired December 19th, 2003. It was directed by Paul Fox, who has a ton of credits to his name. Um, kind of early on, he was working on a ton of shows around this time. He worked on Darcy's Wildlife, My Best Friend is an Alien, Dark Oracle, um overruled winging it my babysitter's a vampire so like shows that had like some of the same cast some yeah. of the same uh creatives behind it also has worked on uh some canadian staples uh murdoch mysteries of course little boss of yeah. the prairie rookie blue and then recently has been directing for um some bigger cbc shows including working moms and and with an e and of course oh. canada's greatest current export Shits creek he directed a bunch of episodes of. Excellent. Well, this this is a really this is a really great episode. So good on you, Paul Fox. And uh, it was written by Doug McRobb. No guest stars to speak of in this one, but we do get a lot of fun Audrey content. Audrey, I'm so happy to see Audrey again. Yeah, she's a fun character. How would you guys feel about taking a break from RFR? We're all burnt out, right? So it would help get the old spark back. We'll start off the episode with. Kind of an interesting, unforeseen uh, plotline. The gang is hanging out in the hallway, just kind of goofing off. Robbie is looking pensive. He tells the gang we need to talk. And Ray and Lily are like goofing. They're like, oh, he's going to break up with us. But what Robbie's really suggesting is everyone taking a break from RFR because they're all burnt out. It's all they do. It's all they dedicate their time to outside of school. Ray and Lily are both psyched because they they need a break. They need lives outside of the show. And Travis is a little upset because he was working on uh, something for the station, a kind of like alien story that he thought would make good radio, which is And also, I don't think Travis has a life outside the show. No, no. I mean, I don't think he has a home outside of the show considering he's been sleeping in the station. But yeah, it looks like um, the gang is planning a, a little break from doing RFR Live. They're just going to play some pre-recorded shows for a little bit. But then later in the hallway, we have the guys kind of hanging out by their lockers. And Audrey walks by and says, hey, to Ray and Robbie, but not to Travis. Oh, oh such an icy cold. moment. Because Travis, in previous episodes... Didn't want to call her to ask her about her art class. He only wants to talk about entomology and obscure Japanese horror. Yeah, she's, I'm too weird for her. Ray kind of goads him with it. And he's like, oh, it was because you're worried she would find out you're a freak. And he goes, I prefer weirdo. Which you pointed out is a very like Riverdale Jughead Jones moment. Oh, it is. I immediately thought of like the infamous like weirdo freak out that Jughead has in like season one that there is a lot of a lot of similar energy between Travis and Jughead but also I've been rewatching the Twilight movies and continue to (laughs) to support uh the assumption that Travis is basically Edward Cullen I could see it yeah we do get the scene uh Travis decides to kind of like kind of pumps himself up and he's like I'm gonna stop being afraid I'm gonna go talk to her 
And before he goes over, we get him kind of talking to himself in the hallway. And he's like, okay, no, no zen. No, nothing weird. What do normal people talk about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Trav. But Travis does get to Audrey. They talk at her locker. It's very tense. She very much doesn't want to talk to him. We get a shot of another Planet Smashers poster in her locker. That's hilarious. I missed that. That's great. It's it's getting to the point where I kind of want to, like, we, we know the personnel names. We know what company they work for. But I really need to see if the music supervisor is, like, is their brother in the Planet Smashers or something? <laughs> like... <laughs> But yeah, like a lot of Planet Smashers specifically, because they are featured in like every other episode. And now we've seen like multiple posters for them in the show. Mm-hmm. So like big yeah. fans of the Planet Smashers behind the scenes. <laughs> I wish I could go back in time and do it all over again. But then you set off the cosmic domino effect. She's also a bit of a weirdo as she reveals because, you know, Travis says, you know, I wish I could travel back in time and, and you know, do things over again. And... Then Audrey responds by talking about the cosmic domino effect and they have this little like, oh, they're clicking moment. And Travis is like, I really enjoyed talking to you. And they seem to have maybe patched things up by bonding over their love of science, I guess. Well, it is very hard to express any love of science in this school, as, as we've learned. Ray and Lily are chatting on the stairs about what they want to do with their afternoon now that they have RFR off. And we get this really cute fun montage of basically ray following lily around to all the stuff that she's doing she's doing doing a lot she's going to yoga going to like chess club she's playing a cello for some reason and yeah just ray's just following her around and then we pop in to see travis at mickey's audrey hey oh hey travis i've been smiling all day thinking about our conversation me too so Travis is in Mickey's and Audrey's also at Mickey's because everybody is always at Mickey's when they're not at school. <laughs> it's everybody's spot for everything. He and Audrey end up bonding over extraterrestrials because he's got like this like app or what have you on his computer that is looking for signs of life outside of Earth. And so he and Audrey are talking about UFOs and planets and stuff and you know, Travis has this very smooth line of saying, just think, when I lived in China, we were looking at the same stars. And uh, Audrey draws Travis a, ti- a diagram of Venus's position in the sky on a little napkin because she's saying how Venus is going to be bright tonight. And it's it's fun. I don't know. But she she really just like whips out that napkin like she already had it drawn. Like yeah, she's kind of like walked into the cafe and drawn this on a napkin. And just had it had it ready. I almost like to think that maybe she thought she was going to run into Travis. Aw, but why would it be on a... <laughs> she could have just, I guess like, drawn it in advance. That's that's very true. Unless she just got the idea, like, like oh, fuck. <laughs> I need to draw Venus for this guy I like. <laughs> oh, jeez. I gotta draw the constellations. I'll look like a fool otherwise. <laughs> it's It's really fun to see, like... We learn a lot of different facets from of Audrey in this episode. Like, we already know she's kind of, like, she's Lily's sort of girly friend, I guess. Uh, she's, you know, she's got a great sense of style. She takes art classes, and she's also, like, this sci-fi nerd. So it's it's cool. Audrey's a very kind of multifaceted character. I really like him, Lola. But I don't want to get hurt again. Travis is the kindest person I know. Trust me, you can trust him. So we get a fun scene of Lily and Audrey hanging out. 
um, of Audrey sketching Lily standing with her guitar. So when Lily goes to look at Audrey's drawing, Audrey says, well, I, I wish you weren't too busy to join my life drawing class. And Lily, now with all this free time, is like, who's busy? I'll, I'll join. But then she says, speaking of, are you getting busy with Travis? Getting busy? You getting can't busy? You can't say that on the family channel. You can't say that. No, you're 14. You're little babies. You can't be yes. talking about getting busy. Yes, it's a it's a pretty big implication for the demographic of this show. No kidding. Audrey's really in her feelings about Travis. And then she realizes that it's 10 o'clock and Venus is at its brightest. So she grabs Lily and they go to look at it. And she's like, oh, I hope Travis is looking too. Cut to oh, RFR, where Travis has brought a whole ass telescope into the station. What the hell, man? <laughs> How he got it there and where he got it. Who knows? And why he's at the station and not at home. He just lives there. I don't know where he keeps all his other stuff, but... Yeah. My gosh. But then we get him, like, kind of pepping himself up. And he's like, oh, should I, should I go for it? I'll, I'll get my feelings out to the universe. And he decides to go through with this little, like, radio play about aliens that he had planned. Um, and he's starting it at midnight because Audrey told him that that's when she was born. And it's, like, a special time for her. And it's actually very sweet. Yeah. Ship's log, 267.41. This is First Engineer Smith of the USS Venus One. I am of sound mind and body and am aware of the consequences of my actions. We get our sneak peek of Travis's radio play by listening to it with Robbie, who's like scanning the dial, I guess trying to find something before he goes to sleep. Because it's late. It's almost midnight. And then he lands on RFR where Travis has started his radio play and it's got this very kind of like 50s sci-fi music and he's setting it up as sort of this captain's log style thing. And Robbie's sort of into it. And then the next day... Travis is kind of strutting through the school and he pops up to he walks up to Audrey and they set up a date and Travis Travis looks so happy he's just kind of like he's being uncharacteristically kind of doofy as he's walking walking away from Audrey and then we go to Audrey's life drawing class Travis and I are going to a movie tonight finally so Audrey and Lily are in their life drawing class together and Audrey breaks the news to Lily that they're that she and Travis are going out and it's super exciting. And then Ray on his quest to follow Lily around is revealed to be the model for their life drawing class. Although I'm confused because they were definitely drawing before he came in. Like they they had already they were both like sketching at their papers. So what were they yeah. drawing before? I, that's a very good question, Jody. Just maybe the pedestal or yes. something. Ray offers to pose au natural, which you definitely cannot do in no. high school as a child. No. No one wants you to take off your pants, Ray. We've been over this. Ray, stop taking off your pants. Stop taking off your pants. But we get like a fun little montage of him like posing and it's it's goofy and fun. So then we get a scene with uh, Robbie and Travis in the hallway of, of Robbie letting it slip that he heard Travis's segment. And then he loves it. He thinks it's great. So the two of them yes. start working on the show with Travis, you know, kind of putting in the caveat that it's, he's he's doing this to express his feelings for Audrey. But in doing so and getting so focused on the show, he totally forgets about his date and he stands he her up. up. Oh, ah. yeah. yeah, Audrey looks so upset and she ends up leaving and Travis and Robbie, you know, do a broadcast and have a great time. But whoopsies. Meanwhile, Ray and Lily are still on their break. They've since 
learned through, I guess, some sort of email blast that uh, RFR is doing this this radio play because they get an email advertising the show, which Travis is calling The Stars Call My Name. Lily's into it, but you can tell Ray's kind of a little bit jealous that Travis and Robbie are hanging out and doing this thing together. So we leave our first half. Travis is, you know, trying to write this love story, but also managing to screw up his chances. And we're starting to get a sense that Ray's feeling a little tense about getting left out of this new venture that RFR is doing. So that brings us to our CanCon commercial break for this week. And this week, I'm going to be talking about Seven Little Monsters. Seven Little Monsters. Seven Little Monsters. Seven Little Monsters. So Seven Little Monsters aired from 2000 to 2003 on YTV in Canada, also PBS Kids in the US. It's a Canadian-Chinese-Filipino joint production between Wild Things Productions, Nelvana Limited, and Hong Ying Animation, which was the uh, Chinese partner for seasons one and two, and then Philippine Animation Studio for season three. So yeah, the the show is just about, predictably, seven little monsters. It's all of these kind of different types of monsters living in a house. It's, you know, very little story of of the week. What kind of mischief are they going to get into? It's got a a great theme song performed by the Bare Naked Ladies. What? Very Canadian. That's great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So getting into kind of the behind the scenes of it, it was created by Maurice Sendak, who <gasps> is the author of Where the Wild Things Are. Oh my goodness. So it was based off of uh, a book of the same name. But Sendak also illustrated the uh, Little Bear books. Really? Yeah. Like the Little Bear? The, oh my god. The Little Bear himself. The, the oh man, the goodness. myth, the legend, the bear. <laughs> the little bear but he's he had like a really cool prolific career he also designed sets of operas and ballets like it's awesome su- super multi-talented person um in 1968 sendak loaned to the rosenbach museum and library in philadelphia the bulk of his work including nearly 10,000 works of art manuscripts books and ephemera the rosenbach presented there's a mystery there sendak on sendak this major retrospective of over 130 pieces pulled from the museum's vast Sendak collection featured original art, rare sketches, never-before-seen working materials, and exclusive interview footage. Oh, so that's that would cool. be incredible. He holds a Caldecott Medal, the Hans Christian Andersen Award, a National Book Award, the Laura Ingalls Wilder Medal, a National Medal of Arts, an Astrid Lindgren Memorial Award for Children's Literature, and was inducted into the New York Writers Hall of Fame in 2013. So, like, super successful person. There's a, a little anecdote that I, I found that was uh, him reflecting on receiving a letter from a fan that I, I really enjoy. Aww. He said, a little boy sent me a charming card with a little drawing on it. I loved it. I answer all my children's letters, sometimes very hastily, but this one I lingered over. I sent him a card and drew a picture of a wild thing on it. I wrote, dear Jim, I loved your card. Then I got a letter back from his mother and she said, Jim loved your card so much he ate it. That, to me, was one of the highest compliments I've ever received. He didn't care that it was an original Maurice Sendak drawing or anything. He saw it. He loved it. He ate it. Oh, bon appetit. <laughs> I, I, I love it. He saw it. He loved bon it. Appetit. He ate it. That's, uh, it's really sweet. The series was directed by Neil Affleck, Neil Reist, and Glenn Sylvester. 
So Neil Affleck was um, an animator and director for several episodes of The Simpsons and also worked as the animation timer for series like The Critic, Rocco's Modern Life, and Rugrats. Lynn Reese was the key animator on George and Martha, Little Bear, and Rupert and was a director on Franklin and Friends. So, you know, staying kind of within the same realm, working in uh, Canadian animation of the same time. Glenn Sylvester, however, has gone off. (laughs) Glenn Sylvester has done a ton. He's had a really, like, uh, prolific career, tons of animation credits, including Who Framed Roger Rabbit, An American Tale, Five Goes West, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. And then was the lead animator for The Green Lantern, Men in Black 3, Oz the Great and Powerful, The Smurfs 2, and Smurfs Lost Village, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Hotel Transylvania 2, and the 2016 Ghostbusters. And he also worked in the VFX team for The Mummy and Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Wow. So it's like really branched into doing 3D work, but is is working in a lot of uh, really high profile things and working in, in lead positions. So... Like a a really, really cool um, kind of growth in his career there. That's awesome. Obviously, we've got kind of a a hefty amount of main characters here. There are, in fact, uh, seven little monsters, if you didn't know. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Yeah, I thought that deserves some clarifying. So uh, they're all named by number. The first one is named One uh, and was voiced by Joanne Vanicola, who may be most well known for playing Dr. Nadia on Being Erica. She also has credits in shows like Beyblade and Timothy Goes to School. Monster 2 is voiced by Canadian sweetheart Colin Mockery. What? Need I say more? I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that we need to dive into Colin Mockery's credits because we know who Colin <laughs> Mockery is. If you don't know who Colin Mockery is, you get your citizenship revoked. <laughs> 3 was voiced by Dwayne Hill, who also had like a very long voice acting career, is still doing voice acting, but has credits in things like uh, Dumb Bunnies, Jacob Tutu, Peg and Cat, Camp Lake Bottom, Atomic Betty, and is in fact the dentist who gives Sharon her braces in Brace Face. Oh, very nice. In terms of being in front of the screen and uh, acting as opposed to voice acting, he was also a coach car in Mean Girls. Really? The one who does like the sex ed class? Yes, that's him. That's hilarious. And... He was Mr. Voiceman, the off-camera announcer for Uh-Oh. <gasps> oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah, Dwayne Hill. Oh my gosh, that's great. So then Four was voiced by Sean Cullen. Nice. Who? Another Canadian comedian? Yeah, Canadian comedian, credits on uh, Royal Canadian Air Farce. He had his own show, The Sean Cullen Show. He was also one of the creators of Unnatural Acts, where the mighty boosh started. <laughs> what? Yeah, so Unnatural Acts was a 1998 sketch comedy series that was written by him, Julian Barrett, Rich Easter, and Rich Fulcher for uh, Comedy Central and featured sketches including The Zookeepers, which was, you know, Julian Barrett, Noel Fielding, kind of in the original format that we saw in series one of The Mighty Boosh. That's insane. I had no idea Sean Cullen was part of that. Yeah, so that's like an absolutely wild connection. But yeah, cool. featured featured all of those those mighty Boosh folk and Jessica Hines. Nice, love Jessica Hines. Really cool. I haven't uh, I haven't watched any of it yet, but I'm I'm definitely interested because yes. yeah, it's 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 such a cool connection. We we've watched the mighty Boosh for for years. I mean, definitely a part of our teenhood. Yes, absolutely. If you want to know more about him, his Wikipedia page is incredibly detailed. Uh, I won't <laughs> I won't be diving into it for the sake of time five was also voiced by sean cullen 
Six was voiced by Michelle Scarabelli, who had credits in Alienation, Star Trek The Next Generation, and Dallas. Um, also voiced Michelle Bizard in the Journeyman Project series of games. And then Seven was also voiced by Sean Cullen. <laughs> A man of many voices. And then finally, uh, there's Deborah McGrath, the, the mother of, of all of these monsters. Presumably the adopted mother. We don't know. Uh, Is she a human? Yes. She's a, a small little human with a, a vague, maybe Russian accent. <laughs> but she has credits in Paradise Falls, Little Mosque on the Prairie, and Getting Along Famously, which she starred in with her husband, Colin Mockery. So uh, other info on the show, the, like, th- this is another one where it's kind of hard to find a lot of like in-depth info about it. There are some people who are like big fans of the show. I'm, I'm not necessarily one of those people. The only time that I ever remember watching this show was when I was homesick. Um, and I don't remember particularly liking it. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a bad show, really, by any means. But um, I, I did decide to go through the Tumblr tag for, for oh, this nice. one to see what the fans were like. Um, nothing, didn't find anything too nasty, which, which was nice after, um, the monster by mistake stuff, but I did find, (laughs) I, I did find this post that Uh says in all caps, happy mother's day. Here's some Canadian television. Do you fuckers remember seven little (laughs) monsters, a single mother slash retired witch raising seven completely different gigantic monsters who live in a normal as fuck neighborhood. One is a winged tomboy. Two is a long nosed nice guy. Three is a drama nerd. Four is a whiny bastard. Five is heavy monster guy. Six is the swan queen. And seven is some poor shit who keeps losing his head. This shit's great. If the description doesn't convince you, it's based on a book by the guy who made Where the Wild Things Are. <laughs> That's wonderful. What a perfect review. It's it's really good. And then uh, another Tumblr user made a post about it saying, Hey, does anyone remember the Seven Little Monsters cartoon? I've actually been trying to find it for years, but I never could because I thought there were eight and therefore every title search I thought was wrong and no one I asked knew about it and they thought I was crazy. But in one of the comments on the Little Bear American theme vid I was watching a few minutes ago, someone mentioned it. So I finally remember the actual title and looked at the theme song. Looking back, they're actually really creepy, but I'm totally going to watch a few eps later today for nostalgia purposes. I only have extremely vague memories of two episodes, one where the ballerina had a loose tooth but didn't want it taken out. Finally, the mom tricked her into losing it by biting into a marshmallow. And another ep where the tomboy girl hurt her wings and couldn't fly. I don't remember who my favorite character was, to be honest. That's great. Th- those give kind of like loose descriptions of like what all the monsters looked like and kind of what made them monsters. There's one who's got like a really long nose. There's one who's got wings and can fly. Um, there's like a blue one with horns. There's one with like a detachable head, like just kind of kind of goofy, fun monster designs. So not only are there entries about Seven Little Monsters on Tumblr, but there are entries in the Ideas Wiki. Oh, the Ideas Wiki. So looking at um, the Ideas Wiki actually redirects to the Seven Little Monsters fandom wiki um, to a page for the Seven Little Monsters reboot. What? Where someone has written out 18 seasons worth of titles for this show. Jesus Christ. Under their scheme, they would have aired almost every day in 2019. There are 714 titles here, at least 200 of which have synopses. Who did this? 
Who did who? this and why? I think it's the person who, that person who couldn't figure out the title, like, has since gone fully into the Seven Little Monsters hole, and now this is just their life. I, I don't, it's like a full... That's a like, lot. They've got, they've clearly got ideas behind them, and, like, some of them have, like, synopses that they've written out about what they want, and then, like, those pages have trivia. Trivia? That's amazing. Like the idea that like they put thought into the special features of each episode. (laughs) And in this page for this faux reboot, it said that this was supposed to start airing January 4th, 2019. And there were a bunch of comments of like this one dude just being really excited leading up to it. The last of which was on January 2nd. And it's the January 4th, 2019 is supposed to be the day these episodes come out. It's coming up soon in two days. So excited. No. I know. He was, like, so hopeful, like, that this was Aww. a real thing. He's like, they haven't confirmed it yet, but maybe this is it. So, like, somebody took this as fact, which which makes me sad. Oh. Someone really wants Seven Little Monsters back. Yes. Um, It's another one of those shows that has, like, a bunch of, like, fan theories and spooky pastas about, like, oh, all, all the monsters are dead or they all represent this mental illness kind of thing they're the seven deadly sins or yes something. yes all of them are lust <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> it's it's a lot it's an interesting one to to dedicate your time to um i did find some some reviews on tv.com this week this one is called best kitty show ever i've watched this show a lot when it came on pbs it was great and very funny about seven ten feet tall monsters who live in Centerville with their human mom and pet cow Belinda. One, the oldest yet bossiest who can fly. Two, the most helpful and very smart with a long nose. Three, the imaginative role player. Four, the troublesome loudmouth but with a heart of gold. Five, the silliest and sidekick of his brother. Four, six, the vain ballerina. And last but not least, seven, the shy youngest who loves cheese and can unscrew his head. Two, two, three, and seven are my fave monsters. I was pretty ticked when they were edited out of a good deal of season one, finally took it off the air. I really wish they put the show on seasonal DVD sets. I don't know what they mean by seasonal DVDs. This is this is the summer DVD. Yes. This is the this is the autumn DVD. It's cheating. <laughs> you can find a bunch of these episodes on YouTube, but I, I think there is a good chunk of them that are lost. How great would it be to like? be like flipping through a dating site and somebody's bio is i love cheese and can unscrew my head that's all i've ever wanted in a man (laughs) another review says this show makes no sense whatsoever as i said before i don't know what the hell the point of this show is the mother's about three feet and they don't even have a father (laughs) i'm only here for dad content and then at the end of the review they say combined they are seven huge eating machines and they have a pet cow which is also poopy which is also poopy (laughs) Wow. And then one more review. This one is called A Great Show. I love this show. It's great. However, it is not on too often anymore, except yesterday it was on. When it was on, I watched it all the time. Why is their mom human and they are monsters? I've always wondered if she was a monster too, actually. Maybe she is a monster, just smaller. I'm not sure if she's a human or a monster. She looks very old to be their mom. She is a very funny character. She's my favorite character. One is so lucky she has wings. Man, I wish I had wings. One is lucky. I've always wondered why five had such a long tongue. Two reminds me of Pinicchio. I probably spelled that wrong. Because he has such a long nose. I really love this show. It's great. 
Two words. Watch it. I, I love just like the drifting off into like random reflections and oh, thoughts. It's it's so good. I love when a review is just like, yeah, like all of your rambling coming out and it doesn't yeah. have any point or any like actual thing to say about the show. It's just you being like pondering. Oh, so Gee, fun. what if I had wings? Yeah, so that that's Seven Little Monsters. I, I don't know if you have any memories of the show, Sam. Literally, the only thing I can remember is Seven Little Monsters and that's it. Like I'm looking at it now, and I and I couldn't remember what it looked like, and now I, it's starting to like look a little bit familiar. Yeah, but yeah, no, I don't. I don't really remember this show at all. There's definitely something about those remembering those cozy times when you weren't feeling well, so you just kind of tucked in with some, yeah, daytime television content. Yeah. <laughs> so to wrap up the six degrees of RFR for this show, um, we mentioned Dwayne Hill was one of the voice actors, and he played Coach Carr in Mean Girls. Also in Mean Girls, Rajiv Surendra, who, of course, played Barney Oscarson in the episode Political Impact. Yeah. So there's our, our connection for this one. What a great connection. Yeah. Love it. You know, I leave you alone for one day, and you go over to the freak side. <sighs> Travis and I are just having some fun. So the day after they do their radio show and Travis accidentally stands up Audrey, the gang all congregates at school. Robbie asks Ray and Lily if they would mind if they kept up the, with the radio play thing for a while ray and lily say they're fine with it continuing the bit of tension we saw from the last scene ray is pretty jealous he kind of says to robbie you know once you call an alien bro you can't go back like he's he's jealous of robbie spending so much time with travis travis who has meanwhile it's it's so weird they have this little scene where it's like cool we're gonna keep going with the sci-fi radio play and then travis kind of looks into the distance and just sort of plods away yeah and lily follows him well yeah and and you think that he's like going to go find audrey but lily just kind of finds him sitting on a bench like looking despondent yeah, just being sad and lily finds out that he blew it and he missed his date and uh, yeah and he really screwed up audrey finds them in the hallway she doesn't want to hear it um and is is really upset and and tells Lily that she'll she'll see her in our class, but she's she's very much not interested in talking to Travis anymore. And then he sees the poster for the radio show that him and Robbie have been doing, and he's like, "Well, maybe that's how I can get her to listen to me." So he asks Lily to make sure Audrey is listening to the show, and she agrees to help him. And he's he's like super grateful and super excited, and, and gives her a hug, and it's very cute. I don't know. I just I got so caught up in the show. I just, I forgot. But I was thinking about her. The whole alien contact idea is really a love story between Audrey and me. Travis reveals to Lily that the stars call my name is basically meant to be a love story between him and Audrey, which is kind of cute, but it gave me the most unfortunate flashback to my own high school time. Oh no. I had a really big crush on this one guy, and, ugh, boy, it was... Not a good choice of guy to have a crush on because he was very, you know, he was actually very Travis-like. Mm. He was always like, you know, philosophizing and stuff. And he was hung up on this other girl who he had a crush on but who was dating somebody else. And so he was writing this novel like with these characters that were supposed to be like analogous to the to him and this girl he liked and how they were destined to be together and for some reason i fucking liked this guy oh god <laughs> so bad oh yeah so i definitely you know the more i think about it the more i realize i kind of had a travis strong in my school and he turned out to be pretty douchey but yeah i think i think in travis's case it's it's certainly a bit more 
cute. And so hopefully Lily can get Audrey to listen in. After Travis and Lily, we get this cute scene where Ray comes in to see Robbie and Travis working on stuff. And they're like, Ray, we're really busy. And Ray very sheepishly is like, can I help? And so Ray is now part of the space crew. And then we go to Mickey's where Lily has managed to get Audrey to sit and listen to RFR with her. And we get the return of Guitar Face working behind the bar. Yes, Guitar Face! That's true. We hadn't seen him in like forever. Yeah. He's got, like, lighting effects going on in the cafe. Yeah. I think an advanced life form would be punctual. He's a good guy. He just gets caught up in things, that's all. So in the radio play, basically how the story plays out is Travis's character, uh, Engineer Smith, is an alien in disguise trying to get back to his home planet to reunite with his wife. And he reveals this to Robbie and Ray's characters. And they're not trustful of him because he's taken over their ship. And then Travis uses the infamous pitch control and Ray plays like his alien wife and says, will you listen to me, Captain? And they're like, oh, you were actually just trying to get back to your wife. And somehow this is supposed to translate to Audrey. I don't know if it does, but it ends up having this happy conclusion where Engineer Smith, the alien, goes back to his planet, refuels the the spaceship, and they all go on their merry way. Um, the Ray and Robbie kind of cover the conclusion of the show so that Travis can run to Mickey's and try to win back Audrey. And he, he gets there and they kind of speak in, in their little like alien sci-fi metaphors. Um, yes. and Travis basically says, these feelings are alien to me. <laughs> and Audrey says, well, on earth, you know, buying a girl flowers is a good place to start if you're apologizing. So she forgives him, they kiss, they leave. Lily is presumably just going to chill there at Mickey's on her own now. Yeah, she's been sitting there the whole time. Like, I would love to know how Lily's reacting to this. Yeah. Like, kind of like straining to hear or being like, oh, hell yeah. Or just like, okay, this is awkward. Like, my friends are having like a steamy kiss in front of yeah. me right now. Because <laughs> it's like, it's very like he reaches out and like pets her face. Yeah, he like, he then... like runs his thumb down her cheek and then they kiss and oof. Getting busy with Travis. Yeah. But we we end this episode with Travis and Audrey being quite possibly an item. Yes. So they are coupling some up. Some major developments in, in the love lives of our main characters across the, the past couple of episodes. It makes me think of, I had a, an assignment to do a radio play in school when I was like 13 and I had such a blast doing it. It'd be fun to do like a cheesy as heck radio play again someday i mean now's the time <laughs> well especially with how like stylized it is right like he put so much time yeah. into the sound design oh yeah over in mickey's discs for this episode we've got sunshine by deadbeat radicals staY by Secadin, araby by blue screen pleased to meet you by the carnations work that thing by the black europeans 1 plus 1 equals Heartache by Sekadin, and Perfect Speed by The High Planets. N- not that it was my favorite song, but I really like um, Work That Thing by the Black Europeans playing while Ray is yes. posing as like a teenager in this art yes. class. Just hearing in the background going like, Work That Thing. It's so funny. Yeah, it plays for like 10 seconds while we get this mini It's montage. very funny. I ended up finding some stuff about uh, Sekadin. So they do uh, the songs Stay and 1 plus 1 equals Heartache. She's my number one oh, And she's my number one 
one plus one equals heartache in particular jumps out at me the song that plays the day after Robbie and Travis do their first broadcast together and it just starts off with like she's my number one and it's a lot of fun so Sekiden were an Australian three-piece pop band formed in Brisbane Queensland in 1998 by Simon Graydon on lead guitar and vocals Mirko Vogel on drums and his sister Seja on keyboards and lead vocals they released two studio albums junior fiction and sound instincts before disbanding in the following year so unfortunately a fairly short-lived band but uh this song is from junior fiction i did find a review of junior fiction uh from the site pop matters and i'll just uh, share a little bit of this the part of the review that mentions that both the songs that were in this episode so uh opening with a buoyant little synth line that sounds lifted straight from 1982 one plus one equals heartache echoes perfectly the slick power pop of Weezer's Green album as Graydon sings about going to the city with a girl so pretty. Yeah, that's about as deep as the lyrics get here. Yet is so paralyzed by his Rivers Cuomo-like geekiness, he can't put the moves on the girl as the song quickly climaxes in the chorus. Gotta take some painkillers for my heart. Stay is just as silly, but is more guitar-driven. Asasia takes over the lead vocals, singing in her cute, flat voice, I love L-O-V e but you don't d-o-n-t you know how the rest of the song will go yeah there's even the voice of a speaking spell but when it's so fun and so catchy who cares that's some fun catchy australian early 2000s pop a lot of good songs in this episode really enjoyed the soundtrack for this one so that uh that does it for us this week if you're not already you can follow us on social media you can find us at podcast free roscoe on facebook and instagram or pod free roscoe on twitter you can also reach out to us at podcastforyourrosco@gmail.com if email's your thing. Give us a shout. Let us know how you're liking the show. Share some of your memories about Radio Free Roscoe. And if you want, feel free to send us your thoughts as a voice clip. We'll be sure to put you on the air. So for now, this is Podcast Free Roscoe signing off. Yeah.